I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash, a sister podcast to our flagship program, Dog Edition. Jennifer Pickens is a White House traditions and East Wing expert. She is a historian and the author of several books on the White House, including a new one entitled Entertaining at the White House. Jennifer is a big dog lover, and she recently joined us and was part of the conversation on the inaugural episode, the first episode of Dog Edition, where we talked about dogs in the White House. Jennifer has a ton of stories, and if you're a history buff, I think you're really going to love this episode, which is our extended conversation. Sometimes we go on a few tangents, but the name of the show is The Long Leash, and I think you'll like some of the side trips that we take as we explore the intersection of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the dogs who have lived there. Jennifer Pickens, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So what does it take to be a White House historian? How does one prepare for that? Oh, I don't know if you can prepare for that other than just loving history. And, um, you know, my um, background is actually not as a historian. I was actually a really different. I was actually on staff with the Bush Cheney campaign in 2004. And my husband and I were lucky enough to be invited to a White House Christmas party. And when I got there, I really was just taken away by the White House itself, seeing it all trimmed for the holidays. There's no more special time to visit the people's house than at Christmas. And I just absolutely fell in love with it and its history and hearing the different stories. And so honestly, the next day I got up to go buy a book on Christmas at the White House and there wasn't one. And I really feel fortunate that so many first families were willing to work with me um, on this project. I presented it to several. And the first one that really loved the idea was First Lady Nancy Reagan. And she sort of challenged me to get all of the first families involved. So it was neat. It was the first time all of the administrations from Kennedy to the Bush administration at the time were willing to, they actually, every living first lady wrote a foreword to their own section of that book. Was your first book about Christmas at the White House or was it the Pets one? Christmas was definitely the first um, book. We sort of started with the Kennedys because first lady Jacqueline Kennedy was really the first one to have a tree with a theme trimmed for the holidays. And when we were going through all these magnificent images, I kept getting pulled back into certain administrations and some of their, you know, pets that um, oftentimes were ambassadors during the holidays at the White House. And sort of that, before we had finished the Christmas book, I'd already sort of made up in my mind, I really wanted to do a book on the pets at the White House. Do you have a pet yourself? Are you a dog lover? Oh, I do. Of course. <laughs> okay. So when you had this idea for a dog book, you've done the, you done the Christmas book. I did well. And then how did you kind of like get the dog book done, pitched and promoted and, and out there? Our public, we are not with a big publishing house. I like that. We kind of keep a little bit more control and we spend a lot of time and effort on these images and sort of revving them up so people can really see. We want the Kennedy images to look as great as the Trump images or the Obama images. Um, and so we just started researching. And I think people love pets and they love the stories about pets and they're more than willing to share and talk about their pets. And um, I feel really lucky. I've gotten to um, interview a lot of the executive resident staff at the White House. So those are the people, there's roughly a little over 100 people that work at the White House um, at all times. They're not political. They stay there during different administrations. And I was shocked how much they loved to talk about the pets. Um, 
Roland Mesnier is a famed White House chef. He was there from Carter all the way through First Lady Laura Bush, and he would refer to some of the pets as his friends. You know, I think oftentimes the people that work at that White House, they're there, have long hours, and the first family's pets are their pets as well. Do most White House pets get run of the place, or do they have to be pretty much put into a certain area? Oh, they pretty much get the free, especially the dogs, let's say that. Um, They really do sort of get the free reign. And, um, you know, I think they have a good life at the White House. (laughs) Well, they get a lot of pets and I imagine a few treats along the way. They do. And the treat part is sort of funny. Um, There was some orders, especially with the bushes. One of the dogs, Millie's um, puppy, she had a litter of puppies while she was at the White House. And one was a male ranger and he was given to... First Lady Barbara Bush's granddaughter and ended up coming back to the White House. President um, George Herbert Walker Bush loved Ranger so much that they started figuring out when he started asking if, you know, when they'd go to Camp David, could Ranger come with them? And then it started being suggested, well, he maybe he should get here on a Thursday instead of Friday to make sure he comes with us. And then can we just keep him till Tuesday? So eventually they, you know, let Ranger live there. And um, he started to gain quite a bit of weight because he would start making the rounds throughout the White House. And so a presidential memo actually had to go out to all staff saying you would have to take an oath. You would not feed Ranger. <laughs> now, what, did that did that come from the chief of staff or did they come from the president? Oh, no, from the president. It was an all points, yes, all points bulletin from the president of the United States signed, went to, you know, all staff that everyone had to take that oath. <laughs> I love that. Do you have a copy of that? Absolutely. It said, recently, Ranger was put on a weight reduction program. Either that program succeeds or we enter Ranger into the Houston Fat Stock Show as a prime Hereford. (laughs) And it goes on saying that all staff will take the formal pledge. We agree not to feed Ranger. We will not give him biscuits. We will not give him food of any kind. And it goes on and on and on. And it's a lot of fun. And then um, you'll hear stories later, too, then about um, President George W. Bush Um, And again, you know, the other Bush family that they had already kind of set the ground rules. You cannot have donuts and treats giving them to the dogs. And when we're talking about the Bushes, I will share one of the famous pets, I think, and one of the most um, unique stories about Millie. So Ranger was one of her puppies, but one of the other um, puppies was a dog named Spot. It was one of the girls that Millie had at the White House. And Spot came to Texas. She was born at the White House, was sent to George W. Bush and his daughters, was raised here. And then when he became president, Spot returned to the White House. So she is the only pet in White House history to live there under two different administrations. And again, back to that continuity and that fun stories, you would talk to some of the people that worked at the White House, and they really did refer to her as their friend and their dog, and they were so excited to see her again. And then sadly, she did have a stroke and pass away at the White House. And after her stroke, they decided she needed to be put down, but the Bushes knew how endeared this pet was, not just to them, but to the entire White House family. And um, all the staff was alerted that she would have to be put down, and they were given a moment to go outside and be with her before they put her down. And I really think that shows just how much pets mean to people and how much, you know, it affects not just, you know, necessarily their owners, but the ones they're around and how touching that was. Is Everyone really chokes up when they tell that story. Any stories or anecdotes that you can share related to the veterinarians who care for the pets at the White House? Oh, no, that's a really good one. I have not. I can tell you, I know President um, Lyndon Baines Johnson had a beagle, and she had swallowed a rock and died on the operating table when they were trying to um, remove it, and that was really sad. Um, But that's a good question. I have not actually tracked down any of the vets. Maybe you gave me a new challenge. I need to. 
I will tell you, there is sort of an unofficial dog handler named Dale Haney. He's the ground superintendent, and he's sort of the unofficial dog handler. And um, it's neat. All of the um, presidents and first ladies love him and talk about him often and with great affection. And he's sort of, he's the one that sort of runs the show with the dogs. Is Dale still there? He is. So he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to have dogs to look after again. Exactly. Yes. And it's sort of fun. He sort of has a little bit of a celebrity status. I was there actually, I guess about four or five years ago on a tour and I saw him walking with Bo and Sonny towards the end. And I was glad to be able to say, Dale, I want to see the dogs. But it's amazing when you see um, the public lined up on these tours and how um, they're amazed, you know, immediately turned um, to see the pets and wanted to see them. So let's talk a little, and we are going to get into the chronology because I do want to do some of the historical things from like Kennedy onward, but let's, we're doing some roundabout here, but I'm curious about that, that necessary business. Dogs got to go out. It's not usually the president or the first lady, is it? No, but I will tell you my favorite story about dogs needing to go to the bathroom. They both happened during the Ford administration. I think it tells to great character of our presidents. And President and Mrs. Ford had a golden retriever named Liberty. They got her as a puppy. It was actually a funny story. It was a gift to Mrs. Ford, and it was going to be a surprise when she was returning from the hospital. And the White House photographer was helping to arrange the um, puppy, and he did not want to let the breeder know you know, who it was that would be getting it. And they started asking all the, these questions. Well, unless we can interview him, we're not sure we should release the puppy to you. And do they have a yard? And then they even asked the photographer, you know, well, do they own or rent? And he was sort of like, well, it's sort of public housing. You know, it's sort of a joke. He finally had to share <laughs> where the dog was ending up. But Liberty did have an accident in the Oval Office. And a Navy steward ran over to clean it up. And President Ford stood up immediately and said, no, no man should have to clean up another man's mess. And he cleaned up Liberty's um, accident, which I thought was a great character test of President Ford. But one of the greatest White House stories, in my opinion, when it comes to dogs, was Liberty also had puppies at the White House. And in the middle of the night, she woke up President Ford and being a great pet owner that he was, he went to go let her out in the middle of the night. And you have to imagine she's about to have these puppies and see this golden retriever and her you know, stomach's practically hanging to the ground. And she does her business and he turns around to take her back inside the White House and it's locked. And you know Betty Ford writes about this in her memoir and she just said she can't figure out how the Secret Service that notices anything that moves has not noticed this odd scene of the president in a bathrobe and a golden retriever you know, about to give birth, wandering around outside. He couldn't get the elevator power up, so he goes up a flight of stairs, still can't get in, goes up another flight, still can't get in. He's locked out in this um, corridor. And so he eventually, by the time they get back downstairs, the Secret Service has figured it out. But so he wasn't locked out on the lawn. He was in the residence, but he couldn't he couldn't get up to the residence. Yes, he could not get back into the private residence of the White House. Okay. Yes. So he, he got but he wasn't outside. I had this vision that he was outside on the grass. <laughs> It's sort of, I think for a little bit he was. It's sort of when you read the story and the account and the play by play. It's, when I first read it, I thought they were talking about like this, you know, Truman balcony. But apparently, I guess it was a corridor inside a stairwell. I love it. Well, I I, th I think that's a great quote. Uh, is that is that a pretty verifiable quote, or that's in Betty Ford's book? So about uh, no man lets another man clean up his dog's mess. I love it. Yeah, it's a well-known, um, but I think this by many different accounts, yes. <laughs> right, we we got to find that. Okay, well, let's go back a little bit to um, Kennedy and one of my favorite stories, which is his dog that, that he got from um, Pushinka. The famous daughter of Strelka, 
the Russian space dog. And Pushnika was a gift um, from Khrushchev to the Kennedys. And before um, the Kennedys were allowed to take it home to be with their um, family, Pushnika had to go to Walter Reed and go through a battery of tests to make sure she did not have any bombs or listening devices hidden away in this puppy. Um, and so once she was deemed clean, she was allowed to go to the White House and live there. And she fell in love with Charlie, which was reportedly President Kennedy's favorite dog. And they had puppies, which then President Kennedy would often refer to as pupniks. Um, they had several puppies. And they actually, you know, even made a surprise visit to... Um, the north the, the beach when the mrs kennedy was there with the children and there was actually a letter campaign i think some of the puppies were given to friends but there were people that wanted to write in and hope to retain a puppy and one of the children's letters said i will teach the dog um, to bite all republicans and so i thought that was you know a cute funny story about what children would write in in hopes of having a pupnik what role do you think that that the that that whole dog story had in terms of diplomacy at that point. Obviously, this is you know the pretty much the height of the Cold War, Cuban Missile Crisis. This is Khrushchev's dog gift to to America to Kennedy. What do, what role do you think the dogs had in that? I think you know a lot. I surprisingly, I will say I don't want to diminish what you're saying, and I agree that did have an effect on the Cold War. But the Kennedys received all sorts of pets as gifts. They received a deer when someone had reportedly said Caroline loved the movie Bambi when it came out. They received from um, the people of Ireland um, an Irish hound. I mean, it was amazing the amount of gifts they received in terms of pets. And I do think hitting on your social diplomacy, I do think that does have an effect. And it continues not necessarily in the form of pets. I think Johnson, when they were given a dog, you know, they sort of said, we're accepting this one, but this is sort of where it stops. It's sort of representation. But even during the um, Nixon administration, you remember that's where panda diplomacy comes from. And the people of China, thanks to Mrs. Nixon, China sent over a panda. And it was one of the largest days people showed up at the um, zoo. So I do think animals have that wonderful way of affecting people and affecting things more than people give them credit for. This seems like a good spot to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more with my conversation with author and White House expert, Jennifer Pickens. You're listening to The Long Leash. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good. In this life, and the next, and the next, and the next, I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back to The Long Leash. Okay, after the Kennedys, we go to Johnson, and you we, you shared a little bit about John. What's your favorite pet story with Johnson? Because he loved his basset hounds. He did, but I will say his favorite dog was Yuki. And it was, um, and that is one that's gotten a little bit of play in the press now that the Bidens are coming and they've said they have the first rescue dog. I do think it might be the first dog uh, adopted formally from a shelter. However, a lot of presidents, um, the Coolidge's were even famous. They had such a large menagerie. People actually would send them sometimes their unwanted pets. Um, and Yuki, which was um, a stray that President Johnson's daughter found um, near their Texas ranch in Johnson City, um, she found it. They left a note in case anybody came looking for their dog. They had asked around. And Johnson and this little bitty white dog just fell in love and would sit there and sing all the time. And Yuki would be seen in cabinet meetings at one of his daughter's weddings. He was everywhere to be um, found with the president. Um, And what about that legendary story of LBJ pulling the dog's ears? You know, that is, it is funny. And it ended up being on the cover of Life magazine. But um, I think... You know, before Dale Haney, there was another uh, man at the White House, one of the electricians, I believe. And he was sort of in charge of the dogs and the president couldn't be there firsthand. And he would say no president, uh, no president loved their pets more than Johnson. He was even famous for keeping treats in his pockets for animals. So, um, and when he would be on his Texas ranch, there was a couple older animals that would come up to the cars and stuff. So, um, yes, I think it was unfortunate and it sort of tells you what can happen when the media sees something in a split second, but I don't think it was, it's a, it was definitely one of those, you know, stories that it, as time goes on, history will sometimes record what really happened. And Johnson was a huge pet lover. Yeah. I heard that he kept, uh, uh, a candy cover. Well, I read Margaret Truman's book, which shows you how deep I've gotten into this, uh, candy covered vitamins in his desk and gave those to the dogs. Yes. He kept all sorts in the Oval Office too. Yes, absolutely. So there was a funny story of when Nixon visited President Johnson at the ranch during, and they're getting ready for the transition and the helicopter was getting ready to leave. Yuki Johnson's beloved dog that I was telling you about did run up in the helicopter and President Johnson laughed. He goes, first you wanted my job. Now you're trying to take my dog. And on election day, Nixon, who was another great dog lover that you don't really hear enough about, said, I told you I wanted your job, not your dog. <laughs> okay, let's do Nixon because, I mean, obviously Nixon is famous for checkers. Um, but checkers happened long before you. Yes, president. checkers was referring to the speech, was not a presidential dog. Um, she did not get to live at the White House. But Johnson's staff actually gave him an Irish setter named King Timahoe. They would often refer to him as Tim. Um, Julie and Tricia both had, um, I guess it was, a, I believe, a Yorkshire and a poodle. Is that right? But it was three dogs at the White House. The most second most requested photo during the Nixon administration was a picture of the three dogs. Um, The whole family loved the dogs. President Nixon also kept treats, not just in the Oval Office, but in his study. There was a big rawhide for um, Tim, and there was some other little container with dog treats. Um, There was a Christmas tree put up every year just for the dogs, and there's a famous portrait of them in front of the tree. Huge, huge pet lovers. Um, And Trish has even told me she would laugh. They'd be sitting there around the 
table and, you know, Mrs. Nixon would say, no feeding the pets. And they would all just sort of smile and all three dogs would be sitting there at Nixon's feet. <laughs> There's a famous picture of Nixon r right before he resigned with his dog. Do you, are you familiar with that image? No, I, I'm not. I, I think it may have been in his study, but he it was just a very solemn picture of, um, I think, the night before he resigned where uh, it was him and his dog and Talbot. There was a strong connection there. There is this great moment, I think, of presidents and their pets and how much comfort they find in them. Um, there's a wonderful picture of President Ford and Liberty right before he pardoned Nixon. And they had really warned President Ford there's a good chance, you know, if you pardon him, you might not win your campaign for the presidency. And they were at Camp David and he was with the dog. And you think about the image you just referred to. And you hear stories about President Bush before we went to war and going outside. I mean, I think the pets, just as they give everyday Americans, they also give our commanders in chief a lot of comfort and strength. Tell me the story about Bush before the war. What was that? Which Bush? Yeah, it was Bush um, 43, so George W. Bush. But you just hear stories about before they made that decision, he went outside um, and he saw him and the dogs were with him. And, um, you know, again, it's not just those three administrations, really, even for more, um, not just, you know, grave decisions like going to war, but even First Lady Barbara Bush talks about her and President Bush right before they left the White House for that transition of power at the inauguration. They walked outside on the lawn and they took one last walk on the South Lawn and watched the dogs run around. Um, and I just think that's, you know, it's the same thing as Americans do. Oftentimes before we have to make a decision, we'll find you know, our fellow Americans sitting in a corner somewhere with their dog or on the couch. Let's go to uh, the Reagan administration, Ronald and Nancy, Rex. Yes, Rex, of course, they did have two um, dogs at the White House, but Rex was there the longest. President Reagan was a huge animal lover, but their entire first administration, there was no pet living at the White House. All of the dogs and the horses and the cats were at his ranch, Rancho de Cielo in California. So there wasn't one actually um, there, but, um, they did have Rex, was it, um, actually a puppy from William F. Buckley, a good fr friend of President Reagan's, and he was named for the White House chief usher. Again, I, you know, earlier I was telling you how close the White House staff becomes to the first families, and I thought that's a wonderful example. They named their pet after the White House chief usher, and the staff had even made Rex a replica of the White House, a little dog house, I think, to live in before he was leaving, and um, I think one of the greatest sort of stories for me was that President Reagan, often most of his pets are buried at the ranch, and he personally hand-carved um, their names into tombstones. And that sort of little, I hate to use the word pet cemetery, that brings up a bad movie, but um, <laughs> into that area of the ranch where they're all buried. Now, I also understand that Reagan um, left a, um, a sign for Bush's dogs. Yes, and that is one of my favorite stories. And it was, you know, uh, the great, you know, I always refer to it as the great brown and white hunter, but Reagan loved um, to bring nuts back sometimes from Camp David. And sometimes he would sit outside the Oval Office and he would throw some nuts on the ground and the squirrels would come and, um, you know, gather and stuff off of the outside the Oval Office of the White House. And Millie was a Springer Spaniel and she was known as quite a hunting dog. And um, sadly, Mrs. Bush used to always sort of laugh to her great sorrow. There were several kills between squirrels, I think even one pigeon. Um, at the White House, but President Reagan is sort of a joke before, again, that wonderful, you know, transition of power we have at the White House. He called President Bush outside, and he had put a big beware of dog sign outside facing the yard to warn the squirrels. Keep those White House squirrels safe from Millie. Uh, 
Yeah, so let's talk about Millie, and uh, and Millie had a birthing box. She right? did. So did President Ford's beloved Liberty. So both of these dogs had um, boxes made. Millie's, I think, actually might have had a little seal on it. I'll have to go dig up my photo now. But um, they would call it the presidential birthing box. And it was the carpenters of the White House. Again, that executive resident staff that works there full time. And they were so kind, and they all loved Millie so much. They wanted a special you know, box built for her to um, give birth in. Talk a little bit about... Bush, when when he would talk about the solace that that Ranger and Millie brought into his life. You know, I did love that. And for the book, they said, even on my most difficult and challenging days as president, Ranger and Millie brought great joy to my life. There's nothing like the unconditional love of a dog to get you through the rough spots. And I just, I love that quote. I think so many Americans could, so many people around the world, you don't have to be American to love your pet, would just share that sentiment. And Millie was just such a great pet. And one of the things I really loved that they used, you know, the Bushes really wanted to share the White House is the people's house. And one of the reasons I love to study it and sort of have ended up in this White House history role was because it really is such a reflection of America. The home is roughly as old as our country. And so when you think about pets and how we relate to them, um, the White House couldn't be a greater metaphor. It sort of mirrors that. And um, they wanted to share the home. And so she created this, wrote this book, Millie's book. And it was a book written from the point of the view of the dog. And it raised over a million dollars for the literacy program. But it's these wonderful images you see of Millie all over the White House from, you know, into where the phones are answered to the formal state floor. And there's this picture of her laying across the red couch in the red room that's just wonderful. And did did she start that when she was uh, the second lady or did she do that when... I thought she did see Fred. See Fred was the first dog that was at the vice president's residence. And when, when her husband was, was vice president. Correct. At the Naval Observatory. And actually, that's a wonderful story, too. When he was the ambassador to China, there was some debate whether or not see Fred was going to go. But Mrs. Bush would laugh. She said she went ahead and shipped all the dog food before he could President Bush could weigh in to make sure that he would go. There was too much of an investment overseas in the dog food. And so see Fred had a book and then Millie had her book. Well, let's talk about uh, dogs flying. Obviously, they it sounds like he probably flew, uh, well, he was an ambassador at that point, but do- but dogs get to go on Air Force One and Marine One. Any stories about that? Um, you know, most recently, I think one of the stories that just sort of tears me up, and I think we can all think about the funeral of George Herbert Walker Bush and his dog, I believe, is it Sully, um, did ride on Air Force One. President Trump actually sent Air Force One to bring the entire Bush family and, you know, President Bush to Washington for everyone to be there. And so he re- he rode on that plane, too. So um, all the pets do. There's a great picture of President Obama um, with his dog, Bo, inside. But they do. The pets go everywhere the president goes. And a favorite location, obviously, I think, is Camp David. Um, the vice presidents and the presidents will take their pets there. There's a wonderful story. Um, vice President Cheney recounts of he would love to take his dog his labs up to Camp David. And one day, you know, they'd been out and they went into the main house and there was a meeting getting ready to start and people were eating breakfast. And he walked in, I think it was with his two labs were Jackson and Dave. And I think it was Dave, I believe. And Barney was in there scurrying around. And, you know, Barney wasn't that much bigger in, you know, the lab's mind than a squirrel and started chasing um, Barney around the um, Camp David. And so, Poor, you know, Vice President Dick Cheney is having to run after his dog, and he immediately gets him and takes him back to his cabin. And about that point, someone knocks on the door and says, your dog is banned from Laurel, where everybody was meeting. 
I was wondering if the okay, so like when other dogs visit, uh, clearly, you know, Bush and Cheney, uh, th- their dogs didn't get along too well. I don't know how often they were together. I think that might have just been, and I'm not sure. I think it might have just been one of those moments where, you know, the labs were sort of in a hunting mood, being hunting mood, being outdoors and just start, you know, being rambunctious, but they were getting ready to have a meeting. But you never know. And and it's not just necessarily a president and vice president's dogs. Um, Clinton's dog and cat were known not to get along. So um, Buddy, the dog, and um, his cat, Socks, you know, when they first were... Um, introduced Buddy to the White House. He was not there for the first term. And the president used to laugh, I did better with the Palestinians and the Israelis um, than I've done with Socks and Buddy. So it took a while to get those two to warm up to each other as well. Okay, let's go to um, George W. Uh, Spot. Yes, so that would be already said, the only dog in the White House history to live under two different administrations, which I just loved all those stories about Spot. Um, and again, about her mother real quick, the one thing I didn't feel like I got to touch on quite enough was, again, Millie, some of the staff would say she was the only truly presidential dog. She was presidential to the core because she would never bark. She would always walk perfectly beside Mrs. Bush when she would sit down. You know, Millie would sit down and there's actually pictures of her at state dinners, which I love. Just, you know, sitting either behind Mrs. Bush outside in the Rose Garden. But again, so you've gone on to spot and we're with George W. Bush and First Lady Laura Bush. And I really loved, they really turned their pets into ambassadors. And I think there's a lot to be said for First Lady Laura Bush following the tragic events of 9-11. You know, it's really hard. They had to shut down the White House for the first time for an extended period of time. The Secret Service didn't think it was safe for us to have these public tours. And again, it is the people's house. And they were really upset that they couldn't keep the tours open. And so they created what was known as um, lovingly the Barney Cam. And this little bitty camera was put on Barney and he would run through the White House to share the Christmas decor with everybody. And it was one of the most successful um, launches, um, 24 million views that day, which was exceptional for that. And think about that's even a huge success for today. And this was years ago. And the Barney came was so loved, it became an annual tradition. Sometimes they would have fun Valentine stories, but they all of a sudden started developing these wonderful plots and they would have guests come on the Barney cam. And I loved one of them, Tony Blair came on and said he was glad to see the Scots were doing well as a, you know, since it was a Scottish terrier and um, Carl Rove came on, you would see the White House chef sometimes pop in on the Barney cam and they were just much loved. And then Barney ended up getting another friend. They got another dog named Miss Beasley, another terrier. And they also had a um, cat. And how was the transition when the Bush pets uh, left Washington to go? To go back to Texas. Um, I think I loved the way President Bush ended his autobiography. And he spoke about having to do what he had been avoiding, I think was his words, for eight years, picking up dog poop because he didn't want the dog to go in the neighbor's yard. But they did transition quite well. But I'm, And they you know, do have that wonderful ranch they got to go to um, afterwards. But I'm sure all pets miss living at the White House. Then there's this great story of uh, that George W. Tell has told about his dog and Vladimir Putin. Do you know that story? Oh, I, you know, that's funny. I was actually talking to my daughters about that story a couple years ago. A president, apparently, President Putin was not too impressed by Barney. And President Bush writes about this in his memoirs that um, when he went to Russia, he immediately called the president over and like whistled and had this giant dog come running and chasing up to him. And it immediately came to a stop. And some of the staff will joke about how dramatic it was this dog that had been trained on command by Putin to come charging up to them, you know, ears 
flying in the wind and it was this massive dog. And then he goes, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like bigger, stronger, and better than Barney. <laughs> and I think that it, it helped, it helped uh, Bush sense, get a sense of what Putin was all about. Exactly. And I think it was maybe the um, prime minister of Canada sort of made a joke. You're lucky he only showed you the dog. <laughs> okay. And then uh, let's go to the Obama's dogs. Bow and Sunny, the Portuguese water dogs. Um, I loved the way President Obama on his acceptance speech and immediately announced that night, Sasha Malia, you've earned the puppy that'll be coming with us to the White House. And you immediately saw every media outlet lobbying as to what kind of pet they should get. I think they had narrowed it down to a Labradoodle or a Portuguese water dog. And in the end, the Portuguese water dog um, did win. President Obama laughed that it was harder or tougher than finding a commerce secretary. Um, but they got a dog related to, I believe, as President Kennedy's dogs. Um, and he really saw, too, the power of the presidency when they pick a pet, what happens. There was a surge in Portuguese water dogs um, at the time. Everyone wanted one. And it was relatively an unknown pet or an unknown breed at the time, I should say. And that's not the only breed that gained popularity as a result of the, of the White House uh, uh, home. No, I believe that, you know, it's sort of like when 101 Dalmatians came out, you know, all of a sudden everybody wanted a Dalmatian. <laughs> it's the same sort of effect. I think, you know, you probably will see that when the Bidens move in. I bet uh, the German Shepherd's already a very popular breed. It's a well-known breed. I think it's in the top, you probably be able to tell, um, answer this better than I am, but I believe it's in the top five um, of American breeds, but I'm sure it'll gain even more popularity. And so that leaves us with Trump before we get to Biden. No dogs. How come? No dogs. Do you, you know, I don't think we have not had a New Yorker in a long time as um, president. And I do think that's an unfair criticism that he didn't have a pet. And um, one thing I did love is he said he didn't want to be phony when they asked him about that. And I think that says a lot about um, President Trump that he didn't want to just have one as a prop, which I don't think any of our recent presidents have. But, you know, in the past, I think they have used them as a tool to gain popularity. Herbert Hoover even released a picture of him and his, um, I, it was actually, that might've been, it looks like a German shepherd. I, um, I think it was, was it King Tut or so? I can't remember the exact name of the breed, but they released several, you know, thousand postcards signed with an image of him and his dog. And it really helped shape his popularity. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I think it was, he was being true to himself by not having a pet, but I do think it was something that was probably missed. Okay. So what does it mean that, uh, dogs are returning to the white house? Well, one, I think the media loves it. They have an insatiable appetite for great stories of pets at the white house. And I do think that humanizes them and gives them a way to relate. Um, and you know, some presidents haven't needed it as much, but I do think, um, it, it's nothing but a plus, but I will say again, I do think sometimes it's overstated, to, uh, as much as I am a dog lover, you know, I don't think anyone held it against President Reagan that there was no pet living at the White House during his first term. So when everyone says there hasn't been a pet in 100 years, I do think that's vastly overstated. You know, Reagan loved pets, but he kept them all at the ranch during that first term. And Carter returned a dog after not too long with grits, and not many people saw that cat. So, um, and you know, still people consider him a much loved president. So I don't think that's I'm excited to see pets return, but I don't think it's a must. So any other, you know, allergic <laughs> or, you know, from a state or a city like New York that's not used to always having pets where we don't have yards. You know, in Texas, everyone pretty much has a dog, but um, it, it's okay. <laughs> How do you think it changes um, the, not just the public perception, but the, but the, but the, the White House environment? Like, obviously, this has been a pretty stressful four years. 
having a pet walking around the White House, it sounds like, would help dissipate some of that stress. You know, I always think pets, and I always think it's interesting. You see college campuses now will bring animals on during finals and things like that. Um, I, do, I was lucky enough for my book, Entertaining at the White House, First Lady Melania Trump actually wrote the foreword, and they allowed me some unprecedented access of going in and interviewing everybody. And I will say, having walked around that um, White House and being so fortunate to have done it for several administrations and being really lucky to have gotten to interview um, so many different staffs from different, I do think it's always a plus. And I always love hearing about pet-friendly environments. I know one of my first jobs, I loved that my boss allowed me to ring my golden retriever. But I don't think that Trump, I don't think if you worked in there, it was as bad as people make it sound by any, you know, there are people that were really happy and a lot of them went home to their own pets and loved it. <laughs> yeah. Has, have there ever been a pet friendly white house where you could bring your, where you could bring your dog to work? Oh no, but I love that idea. And um, a lot of the staff would take home other pets. Like I know socks, the cat actually ended up living with president Clinton's, um, secretary following the White House years. She did not return with the Clintons. And um, some of the Kennedy pets actually left. And I know Tom the kitten that was there was not there the whole time. President Kennedy was allergic to the cat. And apparently the cat loved President Kennedy. And I believe it actually went to go live with one of his secretaries as well, um, or I guess executive assistants now. But um, so I do think that would be great though, if you could have a bring your pet to work day at the White House. But you know, you do have to remember the White House is the only building in the world that is not only a home to the president, but it's also an office and a museum. And that is one thing that, you know, it takes a lot of toll when we do have animals. I know I'm pretty selective as to what kind of carpets and materials I have in my house. So I'm sure they have to be real careful about that. Any other, because uh, again, I just find these pet accidents just so incredibly humanizing. Any other anecdotes? Uh... No, and you know, I know President Obama used to talk about it with school kids of having to scoop the poop and they'd all go, ew, but he would try to remind everybody of responsible pet ownership. But um, no, those are the only really famous ones. I have two that I loved are from Ford. Okay. Well, Jennifer Pickens, thank you so much for being with us. This has been amazing. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was wonderful. I love visiting. Thank you for listening to The Long Leash. Each week, you'll hear extended conversations with some of the amazing guests that we speak with here at Dog Podcast Network. We're the first podcast network for dog lovers created by dog lovers. We're young, we're growing, we're hungry. Hey, we're a pup. And we're looking for great stories and great dog loving people to tell them. That means that we're hiring and we're looking to grow our team. We've launched a contest with over $15,000 in prize money. Please check out our website at dogpodcastnetwork.com to learn more and where you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you can hear about new shows as they come out. Speaking of subscribing, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, The Long Leash, in your favorite podcast app. And also, of course, please check out our flagship show designed especially for listening to while you're walking your dog. The name of that show is Dog Edition. And if you like what we're doing here at Dog Podcast Network, please tell a fellow dog-loving friend and don't forget to follow us on social media for sneak peeks and previews. That wraps up today's episode of The Long Leash. I want to thank Jennifer Pickens for being our guest. And most especially, I want to thank you for listening. On behalf of all of us at Dog Podcast Network, I'm James Jacobson, and I'd like to wish you and your dog a warm aloha. 
Do they ever use radiation to treat transitional cell carcinoma in the bladder? Well, Heather's oncologist is recommending it, but her friends haven't ever heard of it. So is it a good recommendation? Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, Dr. Megan Duffy is talking about the use of radiation in TCC and how to speak frankly with your veterinary oncologist. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.